Tonight, please uh, turn with me in God's holy word to Peter's first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. We're going to be looking at the first part of, first half of, of chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 12 verses and meditating on that this evening together. 1 Peter chapter 2. Under the inspiration of God's Spirit, Peter wrote, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you, or speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're going to end our reading of God's word here tonight. Well, as we come to the end of Mission Emphasis Week, I thought it would be good uh, for us to consider how our spiritual growth as believers, how our, our spiritual service uh, relates to our evangelistic mission uh, to our friends and to our neighbors in the world. And that really was the concern of Peter when he wrote to uh, these Christians in Asia Minor. Uh, he wanted them to understand something of the relationship between their, their holy calling from God and their mission, their witness uh, to the world. Uh, we've gone through a few sections of 1 Peter together over the last few years, and, and over and over again, Peter describes the believers to whom he writes in two ways. Now, first, he describes them as pilgrims. They are exiles on the earth. They are a pilgrim people trudging through a very foreign and hostile land. 
But at the same time, Peter says, you are the special possession of God. You are the elect of God. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are both exiles and you are both elect. And you are to live out that status as you live holy lives before a watching world. Peter does not give the the believers to whom he writes, and he does not give to us any reason to keep our our holiness and our our spiritual growth uh, secret. It's not a private matter. It's directly connected to our public missionary calling. And so in our passage tonight, we notice a number of things. We notice a lot of imagery from the Old Testament where we're instructed about our character, about our calling as God's pilgrim people. In the first three verses, uh, Peter writes to the Christians and says, you are, you are children, you are infants in the faith, but you need to grow. And you grow, verses 4 through 10, as you gain a better understanding of your spiritual calling, as you better understand that you are a spiritual house, You are spiritual priests called to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And finally, he says that that service, verses 11 and 12, is not merely for the glory of God, it's also for the witness and ultimately the salvation of your unbelieving neighbors. I think that's an important corrective for us tonight. We tend to think that our spiritual growth, our maturity in the faith, our spiritual service is simply a private thing. It's between us and God. It's the kind of thing that just takes place here in the safe confines of our church. We must understand that our spiritual growth as Christians has a very unique public aspect to it because we are called in part to live holy lives so that we might witness to our unbelieving neighbors so that they might be convicted of sin and turn from that sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the only Savior from sin. We're called to live holy lives and witness to our neighbors so that on the day of God's return, He might be glorified in us. And so we're going to tonight look at a spiritual craving, a spiritual house, and a spiritual mission. If we were to go back to chapter 1, in Peter's letter here, Peter begins with this glorious announcement. And he says, you have been born again. You have been given new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, that's the gospel reality that should shape everything that you do. And now as he, he goes along in his letter and, and we, we come to chapter 2, Peter is now encouraging the Christians to grow up in that salvation. He gave them the gospel. Now he's issuing the call of the gospel. Grow up in that salvation. Start showing the traits, the fruit of new life by the Holy Spirit in your everyday life so that all can see. And that call of the gospel, that call to grow up, to become more mature in the faith, in verse 1, takes the form of a negative command. He says to them, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all 
slander. Basically, Peter says to the Christians, if you're to grow up in your faith, you must get undressed. You must take off the old garments of your old nature, your old self. You must take them off. You must cast them away. You must incinerate those sinful attitudes that get in the way of your spiritual service, both to God and to your neighbor. Take off. Lay down the garments of your old self, whether that is your former malice, your desire to compete with one another and hurt one another. Cast aside your deceit and your hypocrisy, your, your insincerity, your, your desire to trick one another. Cast aside, throw away, take off envy and slander, your double-heartedness, your lying tongues. Cast away those old garments that characterized you when you followed the way of your former life, the passions of your former ignorance. Basically, Peter says, mortify your old nature if you are to grow up in your salvation. And how are they to do that? How are they to take them off and cast them aside? How are they to put off their old nature so that they can grow up in uh, maturity as believers? He says, by craving spiritual nourishment and by cherishing their new life in Christ more and more. Look at me at verses 2 and 3. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's given them a negative command, cast off the old self. Now He gives them a positive command. Long for, crave the pure spiritual milk. And what is that milk? What is that pure spiritual drink? that we must have, that we must be filled with, so that we might grow up in our salvation? Well, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Look just previous to chapter 2 here in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 23. He calls them to love one another, since, he says, you have been born again. New life has been given to you not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For, he quotes from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. This creation runs out, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And he says this Word is the good news that was preached to you. As believers, we have been born again. We have received new spiritual life through the living and the abiding Word of God. But what we must not forget is that it is that same Word, that same spiritual milk that we still need that still continues to feed us and to nourish us as believers so that we grow up out of Christian infancy into Christian maturity so that we can declare the praise of God to all the nations. We're called, we're commanded to crave this spiritual milk, to crave and desire the Word of God like newborn infants, he says. Those of you who are here tonight who are parents, 
Um, you know something about how, how infants vocalize uh, quite loudly sometimes their, their need for milk, their need for, uh, for food. Uh, Amanda and I, Lord willing, are going to discover that very soon. Newborn babies uh, act as if their life depends on their next feeding. Peter says that's how you as adults are to crave the Word. That's how you you are to actively feed upon the spiritual milk that your souls, your spiritual growth might be fueled. And saints of God, that is why, and that is only why, the elders of this church call you to worship twice on Sunday. That's why they encourage you to attend a good biblical conference, to be a part of a Bible study each week, to make family devotions a priority for your household, not to burden you with extra biblical commandments, not, not to put limits on your fun or your, your time or your leisure or your, your family's freedom. They, they call you to these things because, because God calls you to these things. God calls you to crave His Word like your life depends upon it. You know, none of us, none of us go to our favorite restaurant or our favorite buffet and, and say, you know, I just love this place. It's my favorite restaurant in all the world. I love their food. And then we leave having eaten only a few morsels. No, we, we come to that restaurant with an appetite. We come craving the full array of delicious options that are available to us. Well, in the same way, we can't say, you know, I love the Lord. I just love His Word. I really want to know His will. And then content ourselves with as, as little of His Word, as little of His worship, as little of fellowship with the saints as possible. That just won't cut it. That just won't cut it. We are called to crave God's Word as if our very lives depend upon it, and they do. They do, Peter says. We are going to remain spiritual infants for the rest of our lives unless the pure and the faithful preaching of the Word of God saturates our lives. Only then will we truly grow up in our salvation. And so we're to come eagerly to receive that spiritual milk. Finally, Peter says one more reason that we should crave the preaching of God's Word is, um, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I think a better way to render that is, because you have tasted that the Lord is good, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's not a possibility, it's a reality for them. They have seen the goodness of God. They've been brought to new life through the Holy Spirit. Peter says, now that you've tasted that, now, out of gratitude, out of faith, crave that Word more and more. Grow up in your salvation. Well, part of growing up in our salvation is being mindful of our new status our new position, our new calling as believers before a watching world. And Peter, throughout this chapter, especially in verse 9 and following, he pictures us as the chosen people of God. 
We are the elect of God. We are His royal people. We are set apart as His holy people. And that status describes how we on an everyday basis come to Jesus Christ in our relationship with Him. And as I read this passage, you no doubt noticed that there's a lot of Old Testament imagery uh, in these passages. Uh, verse 5 uh, describes us as living stones being built up in a, as a spiritual house, reminiscent of the temple. This verse describes our office, our task as believers. He, uh, Peter calls us a holy priesthood, and we have a job, the job of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Peter, again, is describing our calling as believers, our vocation as His children. God is building us up as a spiritual house in which we, like priests, offer sacrifices pleasing to Him. This can get a bit confusing, so let me just break it down. The first thing Peter says is that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house or temple. Now, boys and girls who are here tonight, um, how many of you have ever seen a rock or a stone breathe? Now, I doubt that any of you have ever seen a stone breathe, and that's because a stone is not a living thing. And yet, Peter says, we as Christians are living, breathing stones. And God is adding us to the, to the walls of His spiritual house, which is the church. Well, in using images like this, calling us living stones, Peter reminds us that we have life, we have salvation uh, through Jesus Christ, who is the most important living stone. In fact, He is the cornerstone. He's the, the foundation upon which God's temple, God's church, is built. For it stands in Scripture, Peter says in verse 6, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will never be put to shame. By God's sovereign grace, by His gracious free choice, you and I have been called and chosen as His own possession, and we have been made the building blocks of this house that God is building upon Jesus Christ, His Son. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Peter says, what a tremendous honor, what a tremendous blessing that God has made us sinners separated from Him from the moment of life. He has made us His spiritual building, a building built upon the firm, enduring foundation of the apostles and the prophets' testimony about Jesus. Once we were not a people, we were separated from God, objects of His wrath. 
Once we were separated from His mercy, but now we are the recipients of His mercy. What a blessing, what an honor to have this identity, this new identity in Jesus, to belong to this new family. What a blessing that we have been enabled to respond in faith to God's call when so many around us stumble over the message of Jesus and refuse to come. Verse 4 reminds us that Jesus, as the cornerstone, is also the living stone rejected uh, by men. And in verse 7, we read this, He is the stone the builders rejected. He is the stone of stumbling and a rock of of offense. Reminded of um, the song, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. It so beautifully describes the, the wonder and the gratitude that we as Christians should have. That of all people, we sinners have been brought into the household of God, have been made those who can eat the feast of Christ when so many around us refuse to come. Let me just read a few verses of this. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, Each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear Your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a a wretched choice and rather starve than come? We are the temple the holy building, which we heard last Sunday from 1 Corinthians 3, the holy building of God. Don't lose sight of the privilege of being made a living stone, a living member of Christ's church. Don't neglect the the responsibilities and the blessings of belonging to this spiritual house. Peter says something else. He says we are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. In other words, Peter says, inside this this house, inside this temple, there's a lot of business going on. It's bustling with activity. What's happening in this spiritual house? A spiritual priesthood is offering spiritual sacrifices. In the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, we're taught that we are called Christians. We bear that name for this particular reason. Because we've been united to Jesus, we share in His anointing. We share in His priestly tasks. We're called to offer sacrifices to Him. And what kind of sacrifices should we be offering? Well, the, Old, the New Testament as a whole lays out what those sacrifices should be. Paul's letters in particular uh, give us some of the detail. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says that our whole lives are to be offered as a sacrifice of praise and worship to the Lord. We are to offer our lives as a sacrifice of thanksgiving as we strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. In Philippians chapter 2, we are called to pour ourselves out in joyful service to God. We are to seek out the needs of others and try to meet those needs. 
In Philippians 4, uh, Paul talks about his gratitude for uh, the gifts and the offerings of the church, for their incessant prayer and their support for the gospel. This is how we live and act as priests, offering sacrifices of praise to God and for the service of others. And then Hebrews 13, we are called to praise and acknowledge God, to live lives of grateful obedience, to share our gifts with others. And ultimately, as Peter says in chapter 2, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. To put it more briefly, the sacrifices that we are to offer to God as His holy priests are the direct opposite of the things Peter called us away from in verse 1. Instead of malice and jealousy and slander, we're to offer God praise. We're to give Him uh, lives of gratitude. We're to show mercy and kindness and genuine love to others. These are the spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God uh, as we offer them to Him and to one another as God's spiritual house. So, Peter says we are to grow up in our salvation by craving more and more the, the spiritual milk of God's Word but we're also to, to understand our office and our calling, our position in that spiritual temple of God, His, His spiritual house, the church. But finally, and very briefly, Peter concludes this section of his letter by reminding the saints once again that they are sojourners. They are strangers. They are aliens in a strange and hostile land. But he does not tell them to hide away, to cloister themselves away in their own little Christian ghetto and no longer rub shoulders with those around them. He does not exhort them to separate themselves from the world. Quite the opposite. After describing their, their spiritual position, their spiritual calling, he explains their obligations to their neighbors. As God's spiritual house, characterized by our spiritual craving of God's Word, we also have a spiritual mission to the world. There are two parts to this mission as Peter describes them in verses 11 and 12. First, we have the call to what might be called abstinence evangelism abstinence evangelism. Look what he says here in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, to withhold, to reject the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We must remember that because God's love has restored us, that means that we are no longer at home in this world a world that is uh, so much in enmity with God. We really do experience on a daily basis the fact that we are exiles and we live in a hostile place. It's not kind to Christians, uh, not loving towards God and His law. And Peter says that the more that we walk in communion with God, 
The more that we seek to live according to His Word, the more we fulfill our priestly office and proclaim His excellencies before a watching world, the more we will appear, the more we will seem to be strangers in our community. Peter will write later in this same epistle in chapter 4, he says, unbelievers, Gentiles, are surprised when you don't join with them in the same flood of debauchery. And what do they do? They malign you. They call you names. They call you out. But that is part of our evangelistic mission as believers. It's our abstinence, our refusal to join in with the sinful passions and the desires. Um, That stands at the heart of our evangelistic mission to the world. Because when we abstain from the passions of the flesh, when we abstain from worldliness and materialism, we show our neighbors what is good, what is holy, what is Christ-like. When we fight the good fight of hating and forsaking sin, when we, when we say no to sinful practices that lead to death, we are showing them Christ. And that's another reason why we need to be scripturally aware. We need to be saturated by Scripture so that guided by God's Word, guided by His Spirit, we can intentionally avoid activities and situations that nurture sin in our lives rather than the holiness that God requires of us. And so we need to pray like David in Psalm 101 verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me, David says. That must be our intentional, Scripture-driven life as we live before a watching world, to abstain from the sinful passions of the flesh, and to so show our world what holiness looks like. But our spiritual mission, I said, has two parts. Rooting out sin, that's a very important part of it, but also cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. A healthy Christian life, a a successful spiritual witness to the world is not going to flourish if we simply abstain from the passions of the flesh. We also need to fill our hearts and lives with what is excellent and what is holy and what is honorable. Look what he says in verse 12 here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they certainly will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we work from day to day, as we rub shoulders with our co-workers, as we engage in commerce, as we take vacations and enjoy days of entertainment together as, uh, as families, we are, our lives, our speech, our conduct are to be characterized by honor. Our lives are to be characterized by what is excellent and what is beautiful, what is honest, what is loving, so that our community, which still lives in enmity with God, 
Our unbelieving friends who are living in, in darkness, who right now hate the light, will see in us a beauty of holiness, a light of divine glory that pierces through the darkness of this present world. Our neighbors need to see in us what is good and lovely and praiseworthy. They need to see sinners who are growing in grace and goodness and righteousness by God's grace so that one day when Christ returns, God will receive all the glory through these sinners coming to faith through our witness or by God's vindication of His church against her enemies. We are called to abstain from the passions of the flesh, but we're also called to live honorable lives that our unbelieving neighbors might see God's holiness radiating through us. And so, we're left with a charge as we end this Mission Emphasis Week. We are called to prayerfully consider how we might grow up in our salvation, not remaining spiritual infants. We must grow up in maturity as we understand that we are God's possession and His royal priesthood called to offer spiritual sacrifices to Him out of thanksgiving for all that He's done. We must not grow weary in pursuing a closer walk with God, but we are called to desire more and more intimate communion and fellowship with Him, especially through the preaching of His Word. We're called to delight more in prayer. We're called to crave more the preaching of the gospel. We're called to love and cherish more the worship of His people. We're called to ask God fervently for strength to offer our bodies as holy sacrifices of praise and worship. And so may the Holy Spirit give us wisdom. May He give us strength to change the things in our lives that foster sin rather than growth and holiness so that our neighbors who are watching us may be won over to Christ and so God may be glorified on the day of His visitation. May that be our prayer. May that be our pursuit and our desire in this coming year. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God in heaven, we thank You that You have so graciously plucked us out of the garbage pail of humanity when we were content with the sin in which we lived. You pulled us out of death and darkness and destruction, not because we deserved it, certainly not because we desired it, but because You are a gracious and merciful God, and You desire to create a people for Yourself, which You have done and which You are doing still to this day. Thank You that You have made us living stones. You have placed us gently and strategically into the, the spiritual house that You have built and are still building. And You've given us the call to, to grow up in our salvation, in our understanding of Your Word and our love for the Gospel, so that we might be effective priests in Your service, 
offering our time and our lives and our voices and our energy in your service and in the service of others. We pray, Lord, that that call to holiness would manifest itself in our public lives too as we seek to live holy lives uh, among our unbelieving friends and neighbors, that our conduct might be so honorable that they would ask us, what is that hope that drives you, that comforts you? Lord, may we be able to give an answer. May we be mature in the faith and active priests in the church so that we can give a real, a genuine answer to that question. And may you use our holy witness, O Lord, to grow your church, to draw in your elect, and to glorify your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.